Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Leading Off. I am your host, Dan Harris. You can find me on Twitter at DanHarris80. With me, as always, is my producer and former fur coat model, Brendan Tuma. You can find him on Twitter at TooMuchTuma. First of all, we missed you guys after our day off on Friday. You can blame the NFL draft, as I do for like 90% of my problems anyway. And if you found your Friday just a little bit lacking without your daily recap, you can show a little support for the show by taking two minutes and leaving a review on iTunes. You can say anything you want, preferably something above the line of what my wife generally says, which is, quote, Dan, you are roughly adequate in every way. She's a keeper. Seriously, Brendan and I put a lot of work into the show, and we would love to keep it going. So if you are enjoying the show and you want to show some support, a written review, preferably one that comes with five stars, would really help. Now, as always, recapping an entire weekend of news and notes in under 20 minutes is a task. So we are going to try a new organization for our Monday show. We generally start with my three biggest takeaways before touching on some various other pieces of news and then sometimes taking some listener questions. But today, I'm just going to group us into three big sections, which will hopefully allow us to cover all of the relevant news. If you ask the listener question, I promise we will get to it this week, probably tomorrow. But for today, we're going to run through the following. Number one, injury news and updates from this weekend. Number two, bullpen development. And number three, we'll run through the big standouts from this weekend, mostly positive, but also a few negative. So let's begin with the injury news because there is a ridiculous amount. And let's start with the players who were placed on the injured list this weekend. Chris Archer will be sidelined at least 10 days with inflammation in his thumb on his pitching hand. Now, this injury had reportedly bothered Archer for a start or two, and it can at least partially explain his poor outing against the Dodgers on Friday when he allowed six runs over four innings. This is reportedly a wear and tear injury that should resolve with a relatively brief rest. Archer should begin throwing within a day or two, and he could potentially return against the Rangers on May 7th. Now, there's no impact on the Pirates' rotation because they have three days off over the next 10, so don't go looking there for a replacement starter. But if you own Archer for now, this does not sound like anything to be concerned about. Eloy Jimenez hit the injured list on Sunday with a right high ankle sprain. Now, the injury did not look particularly good when it happened on Friday, so although a high ankle sprain diagnosis is not great, it is far from the worst-case scenario. Now, if you're a fantasy football player, you know that high ankle sprains can sometimes knock a player out for several weeks. For now, there's optimism that this is not the case for Jimenez, though we are talking more than 10 days here, for certain. The White Sox will reevaluate Jimenez in two weeks, and if everything else is progressing, he could return sometime relatively shortly thereafter. If you are a Jimenez owner, I would be safe and plan for a month absence. Anything better than that is going to be gravy. Of course, Jimenez was batting just 241 with 8 RBI, so owners might be somewhat relieved to get on the waiver wire and find a replacement. Ryan Cordell should see the bulk of playing time in right field, but he's relevant only in deeper AL-only leagues. Williams Astudito was placed on the injured list with a left hamstring strain, which he sustained running home on a sacrifice fly. Astudito was largely just batting average help, but for a catcher, his line was more than serviceable. Of course, he had the famous one-to-one strikeout-to-walk rate in that he literally walked and struck out one time each. Because Astudito wasn't playing most days and was more filling like a super utility role, his absence will have a negligible effect on the Twins' starting lineup. Others hitting the injured list this weekend include Cody Allen with a back injury and Ryan Zimmerman with a plantar fascia injury. Allen, who had been removed from the closers role recently, had really fallen off in recent outings after a strong start to the season. Now, this injury is vague. It's just labeled a back injury, so it's hard to put a timetable on it. Hopefully, the doctor doesn't think he needs a backiotomy. Please at me on Twitter if you get that reference, and we will be best friends. Now, although Allen has been off to a terrible start, if you can afford to stash him, I would 
particularly if you are in need of saves. My feeling on that whole situation is that with a one-year deal, the Angels will do what they can to showcase Allen when he returns to get something in a trade. The Angels' closing situation in the meantime should remain wide open, with Ty Buttry, Hansel Robles, and Luis Garcia potentially seeing chances. As for Ryan Zimmerman, he injured his foot on Tuesday while making a catch, and his injury just got worse over the next few days. Expect to see Matt Adams get the bulk of playing time at first base. Now, Adams has had plenty of stretches of decent production in his career and recently, and with the national schedule to face a ton of righties this week, he is not a bad pickup if you can still do so on Monday morning. And that is especially true after he cracked a walk-off home run on Sunday. Although it does not yet appear to be an injured list situation, Christian Yelich left yesterday's game against the Mets with low back tightness. He reportedly felt his lower back grab when he broke off of first base. Now, Craig Council said he will likely miss Monday's game, but he did not think that it would necessitate a trip to the injured list. With someone like Yelich, if there is any chance he plays, you are probably starting him in a weekly league. That's especially true this week, where the Brewers will return home and face almost exclusively righties. Others dealing with injuries but not hitting the injured list, at least as of now, include Fernando Tatis Jr. with a hamstring injury he sustained on Sunday, Anthony Rendon, who returned from his bruised elbow on Friday only to miss Saturday's and Sunday's games, Robinson Cano and Gio Urshela, both of whom left their game Sunday after being hit by a pitch in the hand, DJ LeMahieu, who left Sunday's game with right knee inflammation, Mitch Hanniger, who missed Sunday's game with shoulder soreness, and Estrubo Cabrera, who missed four days in a row with a calf injury, but should return Tuesday. Of these injuries, only Tatis's and Rendon sound particularly worrisome, though LeMahieu could miss time, depending on the results of his MRI. In Sunday's game, Tatis did a split stretching for a throw at second base, and he was down in pain for a while afterwards. He did walk off the field slowly, but without assistance. Now, he was reportedly in good spirits after the game, and Andy Green described it simply as a hamstring injury. Without more, I think we have to assume that an aisle stint is forthcoming here. Padres cannot be too careful with their prize shortstop, and with the way it looks, Tatis should likely need several days to recover, so it only makes sense to give him a breather. Greg Garcia, who has had a good couple of games for the Padres, could fill in for Tatis if he does indeed need to miss time. As for Rendon, there is no other way around this other than that the Nationals screwed this one up. Given that Rendon had already missed several games before coming back on Friday, they should have played it safe and put him on the injured list initially. Now, if Rendon is forced to miss more time, as it sounds like he may, Howie Kendrick will see regular playing time, and Kendrick is having a fine season so far with an 1100 OPS. He's worth an add in deeper leagues. Finally, let's touch on the recovery or lack thereof of some players currently on the injured list. Corey Dickerson felt tightness in his shoulder while throwing on Saturday. He was supposed to begin a rehab stint within the next few days, but that obviously will not happen now. If you own Dickerson, expect to be without him for a while longer. Miguel Andujar will begin a rehab assignment with High A Tampa and could be back within a week. This is a truly shocking development after Andujar seemed likely to be lost for the entire season in a worst-case scenario and out until June in a best-case scenario. If you own him, it appears your patience is about to be rewarded. Aaron Hicks faced live pitching on Saturday, and he could play in an extended spring training game with a rehab assignment coming soon. Alex Reyes fractured the pinky on his left non-throwing hand when he punched something after his most recent start. The good news is that he can still pitch, but he just can't field, catch, or hit. Reports are that he should now be at least a month away from returning. And Alex Wood suffered a setback in his recovery from a back injury. He's going to get a second opinion, but if you are waiting on Wood, you're probably going to be waiting a lot longer. Okay, that's enough about injuries. Let's turn to some closer news. A.J. Minter blew the save on Saturday, allowing four runs to the Rockies in what was a gut-wrenching loss. 
He then began the ninth inning of Sunday's game, got one out, allowed two base runners before being pulled for Luke Wilson, who earned the save. If I had to wager on who would get the majority of the saves for the Braves going forward, I would bet on Minter, though that's much more because of the lack of reliable options around him. If you own Minter and are desperate for saves, I'd continue to just throw him out there. Otherwise, I'd just leave him on my bench for now. But I am not speculating on others in the Atlanta bullpen. If you own any reliever on the Rays and are chasing saves, then you are probably disappointed. On Saturday, it was Diego Castillo and Jose Alvarado in the 8th inning, while Emilio Pagan got the ninth inning for the save. On Sunday, it was Pagan in the 7th, Alvarado in the 8th, and Diego Castillo in the ninth for the save. If you asked me to tell you the breakdown of Rays' saves going forward, I would tell you it will be the same as the ratio of Schrootbucks to Stanley Nichols. Look, Alvarado has four saves, Castillo has three, and Pagan has three. You have a legitimate three-man committee, all of whom are pitching extremely well. Except that each will apparently just get 15 saves and provide you with good numbers, and you'll sleep a lot better at night. Anthony Swarzak blew the save on Friday night, allowing a run on a hit and two walks. Swarzak has now allowed a run in each of his last three appearances. Rowanus Elias hasn't been perfect, but he has pitched well in save situations, and Brandon Brennan has been used in plenty of high-leverage situations as well. Any of the three of them could see a save opportunity on any given day. For now, I'd probably keep any of them on my bench and wait for someone to hopefully grab hold of the job. Jeremy Jeffress struggled in the eighth inning of Saturday's game against the Mets, allowing three brace runners and a run before being bailed out by Josh Hader in the eighth inning. Hader then completed a two-inning glorious save. As I have said repeatedly, I think Craig Council's ideal scenario is to have Jeffress in the ninth with Josh Hader pitching whenever it is the highest leverage situation. But until Jeffress proves that he is really reliable, that is not about to happen. John Gant got a one-out save for the Cardinals on Sunday, but there is nothing to see here. Do not freak out. Jordan Hicks entered the eighth inning to put out a fire in a 2-0 game, and then the Cardinals broke it open in the bottom of the eighth inning and removed Hicks. It is still very clearly Hicks's job, and he has been outstanding. And Hector Nara sure does look like the Phillies' closer for now after saving Saturday's win over the Marlins. He's a perfect 4-for-4 four four in save chances and is the only reliever in Philadelphia to have multiple saves. Considering where things stand in places like Atlanta, Tampa Bay, and Seattle, you could certainly do worse than Naris. Okay, so the best way to go through this weekend's standouts is to play a game of who's hot and who's not. So whose weekend performances really reminded us that they are hot? How about Mike Miner? Miner struck out 13 Mariners on Saturday, allowing just one run over seven innings. Miner got a whopping 19 swinging strikes on Saturday, topping out at 95 miles per hour. He now has a 288 ERA and a .91 whip. And remember that Miner gave up six runs to the Cubs on opening day. Since then, he actually has a 1.75 ERA. Miner is just 56% owned. He will take on the Blue Jays in this next start, and he is a must-start option until further notice. Hunter Dozier remains hot. After missing a few games with back tightness, Dozier had a big series against the Angels, going 6-for-12 with two runs scored and four RBI. Dozier is still DHing only as he monitors his back, but he is batting 349 on the season. A few Philly starters were hot this weekend. Jared Eikhoff pitched seven shutout innings against the Marlins, striking out six. Eikhoff has that big slow curve, which averages roughly 75 miles per hour. And he used it to perfection this weekend, getting all six strikeouts on the pitch. Remember, he was a very effective pitcher before carpal tunnel syndrome got in the way. He had surgery to address the issue, and so far, he's turned in a respectable start in Colorado and an excellent one against the Marlins. He'll take on the Nationals in this next start, and if it is remotely successful, he could stick in the rotation all year. 
and Zach Eflin bounced back from a few subpar outings to throw a complete game against the Marlins on Sunday. Eflin needed this start just to get back on track, especially since the Marlins beat him up pretty good in his last time he faced them. Like Eikhoff, he will also start against the Nationals, and that will be a better test of where he's at. Carter Keeboom certainly had himself a weekend after being called up. Keeboom went just 3-for-12 this weekend, but he hit two home runs against the Padres. Keeboom's potential alone requires him to be owned pretty much everywhere possible. After all, Trey Turner's return date is unclear, and Brian Dozier is batting just 190 on the season. If he keeps launching long balls, he could force his way into the lineup regardless. So to the extent he is available in your league, please pick him up right away. Other hot hitters include Max Kepler, who hit four home runs this weekend against the Orioles, Elvis Andrus, who homered twice against the Mariners this weekend and is now batting 365, and Josh Bell, who has nearly a 1,000 OPS. Kepler is off to an exceptional start as of this moment, but if you checked before the weekend, you would have said that he's off to a fairly slow start. Try not to take away too much from a big homer weekend against an Orioles staff that allows home runs at a historic pace. As for Andrus, however, we discussed in one of our first episodes that this is a guy we should look to acquire on the cheap. He has essentially matched his home run and steals totals from last year, and is hitting the ball hard and in the air much, much more. Go ahead and buy high. As for Bell, we heard the rumors about the swing changes this offseason, and really, the biggest difference is his pull percentage. Last year, it was 33.8%. This year, it's 42.6%. He has also slightly improved his fly ball rate and his launch angle, but nothing significant. Really, this is much more about him pulling the ball and hitting it incredibly hard. He has an exit velocity average of 94.4 miles per hour, which is top 10 in the league. There's plenty of reason to buy here. As for some pitchers from this weekend, it should really start with Marcus Stroman, who allowed one hit in seven scoreless innings against the A's on Friday. 0, 2, 3, 0, 1, 0. Those are the earned runs allowed by start for Stroman this season. Stroman is throwing his fastball a lot less, just 34% of the time after 44% of the time last year. He is relying far more on his slider so far. But batters are not hitting either pitch anyway. They're batting just 184 against this fastball, 143 against this slider. Now even with that, Stroman has been pitching over his head. He has a 1.09 whip, a 2.34 FIP, and a 3.75 XFIP. But he's also got an 8.6K per 9 rate, much higher than his career mark, and he should be started everywhere, including against the Angels, until further notice. Not too far behind Stroman is Ronaldo Lopez, who allowed an unearned run and struck out 14 over 6 innings in the White Sox win over the Tigers. Lopez had 24 swinging strikes yesterday. That is insane. He's allowed 3 earned runs and struck out 27 in his last 3 outings. Admittedly, 2 of them have been against the Tigers and the other one against the Royals, so we'll really we'll see how he looks against the Red Sox in his next outing. But, after a disastrous start to the season, Lopez is certainly worth adding in most leagues, and he is just 13% owned. Remember, especially for your bench, you really want upside, and the 25-year-old Lopez oozes just that. As for those who are not hot, it's hard for any player to seriously hurt their value over a single weekend, but you likely do, and probably should, feel worse about Jacob deGrom and Noah Syndergaard than you did before the weekend. deGrom allowed five runs on five hits and three walks over four innings against the Brewers on Friday. He struck out seven. Now, it was obviously encouraging to see DeGrom return from the injured list, but this is now three straight subpar outings. Personally, as a DeGrom owner, I would give him a pass. In addition to it being a lengthier-than-usual layoff, it was cold and the game had a three-hour delay. I'd expect him to get back on track against the Reds. If he continues to struggle with his control there, then we'll talk. As for Syndergaard, I mean, this is a trend now. 
He's allowed five or more runs in three of his six starts this year. You know how many times he allowed five runs or more in the last three seasons combined? Four. Syndergaard's ERA is 635, while his FIP is just 372 and his XFIP is 360. So he has been unlucky. But other than that, the Mets defense isn't very good. I don't really have the answer to this. Nothing looks particularly out of whack for Syndergaard. Batters have a nearly identical exit velocity, and he's throwing a similar amount of strikes. As many of you probably know, I am a Mets fan, so I do watch a fair amount of his starts. And it feels to me mostly like he's nibbling rather than just trusting his stuff and letting it fly. The bottom line is, unless there is a sign of an injury, I would continue to roll him out there, including in his next start against the Reds. As for some hitters whose weekends reminded us that they were not hot, Manny Machado went 3-for-13 against the Nationals, while Bryce Harper went 2-for-9 against the Marlins. Admittedly, both players had a handful of RBI this weekend, and I will answer a listener question about Harper tomorrow, so I will save the analysis for then. But should owners be worried about Machado? Machado is batting just 242 with a 714 OPS thus far this season. And as you surely know, Machado had a much higher OPS in Camden Yards than away, so it is fair to be a little worried. But Machado's strikeout rate is currently 25.2% versus 16.6% in his career. And his launch angle is way, way down from 14.4 degrees to 8.2 degrees. The majority of the rest of his batted ball data looks the same. In the end, much like my thoughts on Jose Ramirez that I've offered before, this feels like a player trying to do too much. I'd expect Machado to turn things around relatively soon. As for what to watch for today, it's Eduardo Rodriguez against the A's. Rodriguez has really turned it up over his last three starts, with a 21-4 strikeout-to-walk ratio over his last 18 innings. Particularly if he can keep that strikeout rate up against a team like the A's, I would be highly encouraged. And that's all for today's version of Leading Off. Make sure to subscribe to the Fantasy Pros Baseball Podcast. Check your feed every weekday morning. Again, you can always find me on Twitter at DanHarris80 or Brendan at TooMuchTuma if you want to talk about the show or just baseball generally. Enjoy your Monday, everyone. Catch you tomorrow.